you know, last week we talked about faith, and I just felt God kind of leading us today to talk about, about grace. So grace, according to the Eerdmans Bible Dictionary, is God's unmerited favor towards humanity. Kind of underline that word, unmerited. Unmerited favor towards humanity and especially his people, realized through the covenants and fulfilled through Jesus Christ. As we know, God established a covenant with Abraham that through his descendants, all nations would be blessed. So it wasn't just for uh, the Jewish people, but through them, through their descendants, the entire world would be blessed, that God would restore what was lost, which we see what was lost in the creation account, perfection, being able to dwell and walk in the very presence and glory of God. So if we spent this morning unpacking every theological implication of, of, of grace, um, we might be here for a few hours, and I, I was told that there might be a game on today. Um, I honestly forgot that it was the Super Bowl. I am excited. My boy Peyton Manning is playing, though, uh, Colts fan from Indiana. So there's nothing wrong with some good football. Just make sure you're staying a good witness and, and uh, shed some light and salt wherever you're watching the game. So this morning, we're just going to focus on grace, particularly in regards to the gift of salvation. And we might drift in some other areas as well, but particularly in, in terms of our salvation and Christ rescuing us from sin and death. You know, a lot of times we, we think of salvation and, oh, I've been saved from hell. God's word says you've been saved from your sins. You've been saved from that which earned you a place in hell. And so it's some concepts we're going to be looking at a little bit. So as believers, we, we often make the mistake of thinking that we fully understand and appreciate God's grace. The reality is that we often we forget it sometimes, and we, we take grace for granted. Uh, at least I have. Maybe, maybe no one else here has, but I have at least. And we take for granted the truth and the revelation of God's grace towards us. So there's a few things that we want to look at in terms of grace, or God's grace. One, it's so important to realize that grace, as we said, it's unmerited. Grace is undeserved. That it is an undeserved favor towards us from God. We do not deserve what God has given us. We do not deserve what Christ did on the cross for us. Part of, of communion is reflection, reflecting upon that aspect. What makes it so amazing is not, yes, one, that he did that, but two, he did that for us and we did not deserve it. That God, the creator of the universe, could have easily just wiped us out, but that there was love, there was a a desire and a passion for his creation, for us as individuals and, and as, as a people and as a, as a humanity. And that because of that, he went to this great length to give us something, to give us an opportunity that we did not deserve. There are many supposed Christians, however, who believe they do deserve salvation or at least in, in comparison to other people. Uh, and, and sometimes, unfortunately, we may not really 
believe that at our core, but sometimes we allow our mind to slip into that mindset. And, you know, maybe our, our, our lives are a little messy in certain areas. And we, we haven't surrendered them to God and we're not really letting go. And, but we justify it because, well, if you saw, you know, so-and-so over there or compared to my siblings, you know, I'm a saint. So that's got to count for something. And I don't think God really cares because, you know, you should knock on my neighbor's door. You know, the things I hear coming out of that house. And unfortunately, a lot of believers say, well, you know, if you look at my life compared to those people, I'm okay. I'm better than they are. I'm more deserving of God's grace and favor. Or, you know, why, why do they have the brand new car and boat? They're just horrible heathens and, you know, I'm, I'm struggling, you know, I'm trying to follow God. I deserve better. One thing the Bible is very clear on is that there is no one person more deserving of God's grace than anyone else. It doesn't matter if you're uh, whoever your favorite preacher, hopefully it's me, maybe not, I don't care, it's okay. There's some great ones out there, Francis Chan, whoever. There's some great, wonderful preachers out there. It doesn't matter if you're Billy Graham or you're the town drunk. Neither one of those individuals is more deserving of God's grace than the other. Romans chapter 9, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 9 through 12. Paul brings this to the church's attention. Well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. Then he goes on to quote the Psalms. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. Ouch. No one does good, not a single one. Paul was writing to a a Jewish church. They had come to know Christ. They were following Christ, but they were saying, you know, if if anyone deserves Christ's grace, you know, we were following Yahweh. We were following God before for these Romans or these Greeks. You know, we were we were holding to the laws. We had the Sabbath, we had dietary laws, we, we were doing all this thing, we were doing it well. We deserved it. And Paul's knocking them down a few notches and saying, you're not any better than these people who maybe a week ago were worshiping multiple gods or perhaps came out of the the temple of Aphrodite and worshiping with temple prostitutes. Paul was saying, you're not any better. You're not any more deserving. We all have sinned. And as Christ taught, it's not necessarily our actions, but it's the condition of our heart, it's our thoughts, it's our minds, it's the things that we entertain and things that we desire that puts us in opposition to God. And in Romans chapter 5, a little earlier on, verse 20 through 21, 
Paul says, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He was saying you, you didn't have these laws that you're following so you could earn your salvation. They were given to you to prove you can't earn salvation. You can't earn your place in God's favor. The Ten Commandments and the laws that God gave the Israelites were to uh, not only show a better way to live and how to treat other people, there were some very good things within God's law. I think we all can agree the Ten Commandments are still very applicable to our lives. But it was to show and prove how messed up and broken we as humanity really are and how incapable of changing our lives and ourselves and our own power and how incapable we are in earning our own favor or earning God's favor. Second aspect of, of grace we want to look at is we can't, as we just said, we can't earn God's favor. We can't earn salvation. The price was too high for us to pay. Even if through the law they could somehow earn a point system, could somehow work towards favor in God, the reality is the debt that we all owed God, the, the level of our sins from the time we come to a level of, of consciousness and right away begin to live out our lives and as we begin to get into the world, the condition of our heart, the condition of humanity is so far removed from the, the purity and the holiness of God. And we are so imperfect, it would be impossible for us to pay this debt that is so high. Christ paid this debt for us because we humbled ourselves before him and received his offer to do so, even though we didn't deserve it. We see a, a beautiful example. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 through 35. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Of Peter, Peter, we often see quite a few glimpses of him in Scripture where Peter always thinks he has it figured out. In fact, sometimes Peter's a little bit, often a lot like us. He not only thinks he has it figured out, he thinks he's got it figured out a little bit before, maybe a little bit better than everyone else around him. And I can see how this question's kind of probably, you know, this is me a little bit, but might have been a little loaded. He might have even had one of the other disciples in mind or someone else in mind, and he was thinking, yeah, you know, I've already forgiven this person ten times. So Jesus, should I forgive them seven times? Hoping for a, a God saying, well, yeah, and then smite them after that. But instead, Jesus responds, verse 22, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Peter's thinking, you know, I didn't, I don't have a calculator. Um, 
Am I supposed to keep track? Or are you, what, are you, what are you getting at here? Jesus goes on to explain through a parable in verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be par- compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. This is the, the New Living Translation, putting into monetary terms we can understand. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owed to pay the debt. This was actually a, a customary uh, practice in that society. Verse 26, but the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. Verse 28, but when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. So he, he first owed the, his master millions, and he's going to a man who owes him thousands, small potatoes. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me, and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. I'm not sure how he was going to pay off the debt while he was in prison. Verse 31. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. Jesus goes on to say, that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. I believe Christ knew why Peter was asking that question. And that's why he said, if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters. I'm sure Peter gulped a little bit, realizing that We cry out to God. Our debt, we recognize that, and some of us have huge, huge debts against God, against people. And this parable not only demonstrates how, no matter how grand, how big our debt may be, that when we cry out to the Master, when we cry out to God, when we cry out, in Christ, that he freely, through his grace, gives us that undeserved forgiveness. 
But not only are we learning that, but we're also learning in, in this parable that Christ is also teaching that it is very important and it is a very crucial aspect of God's grace in our lives. And it's a very crucial aspect of grace that, that many self-professing Christians often forget and sometimes each and every one of us in this room, perhaps at different times in our life, forget. And that is... We are to show grace and give forgiveness to others just as freely and undeservedly as we have received it. As followers of Christ, we are to recognize that it is by God's grace that we are blessed and have been called His children. It wasn't a right. We weren't naturally born His children. We were naturally born into sin and destruction but that through Christ our debts were forgiven, we were adopted, we became his own, and that none of us deserved it. And so therefore, no one else around us should receive the love that Christ has given us conditionally. It should always be unconditionally. It should always be freely given, even though it's not warranted or has been earned truest form of love that we can show the world, that we can show our family, that we can show our friends and those around us. The truest form of love that we can show is love that they haven't earned. Too often times, marriages and relationships struggle because we feel like the other person hasn't earned what they are asking of us. And if we're truly going to live in peace, if we're truly going to walk and follow Christ as he has called us to, each and every one of us have to be the first to show love, even when it hasn't been earned. Another aspect is God's grace was not poured out on us so that we could remain the same as before he saved us. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 14 For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people, referring to Christ. Christ was that undeserved gift, bestowing of life and forgiveness. Verse 12, and we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We would live in this evil world with wisdom, we should, sorry, we should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. While we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us and to make us his very own people totally committed to doing good deeds. I love that line, committed to doing good deeds. We often have two extremes in Christianity when it comes to grace. One side that says, God loves me better than others, or I am more desirable to God because I have earned a position or because I live a certain way, so therefore God loves me more. 
and that God will save me because of, of what I do and because of how I please him, God will save me. There's that extreme understanding of grace in Christianity. And on the other end of the spectrum, there's a side that says, God saved me even though I didn't deserve it, so I can keep on doing what I did before, or maybe even more, actually, because it's covered. I'm good. I love the, the balance that this verse brings. Clearly pointing out that Christ gave his life to us to free us from every kind of sin. Not just to give us fire insurance to save us from hell so we can uh, go to heaven as we often learn in our Sunday school lessons but that he completely came to bring restoration to our lives and to creation, to humanity. He came to help us step out of that which brings death, that which puts us in opposition to God. That he cleanses, that he makes us new, that he's called us his own people. And if we are to be God's people, we are to be a reflection of, of Christ, We are to reflect God's intent and his will for humanity. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ, Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death. Last Sunday of this month, we'll have our baptism Sunday, and I I get so excited about it because it's not only a a symbol of, of Christ's death and resurrection, but it's a powerful symbol of our actual death to our old self and being made new and rising to life in Christ and the life that he's giving us. And that image of leaving the old self down in the water, in the grave, dead, dying to our sinful nature, dying to our selfish self, so that the true us that God has desired for us can live as Christ has called us to. Verse 4, For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Christ gives us a new life. It'd be like someone giving you a, a brand new car and you just give it away or don't use it. There's nothing I hate worse than, than saying a, no offense if, if anyone here is over 70 and you have a Corvette, but there's nothing I hate worse than seeing someone over 70 in a Corvette or, or a, a sports car and driving under the speed limit. It drives me nuts. That car was built for a reason. Use it for that reason. I almost got an amen, I think, there. <laughs> Our salvation is the same way. God has given us a new life. He's, he's given us his grace. He's given us the gifts of the Spirit. He's poured his life and his love into us for a reason. And so that's what we can take it out on the highway and use it. We can run with it. I love the simplicity of God's grace. It's free. 
You have to ask for it. Unfortunately, a lot of times we miss this, the, this aspect of grace, the simplicity of grace. We already saw that God had given uh, the Jewish people a, a long list of, of laws, and they added a bunch extra, of course, themselves. It was difficult. It was complicated. You almost had to keep a, a, a ledger and a calendar to keep track and make sure you were doing everything correctly. And Christ came along and says, that was not the point. The point was to here show you that this doesn't work. I have something much simpler from the beginning of, of time. This has been the plan, a simple way to be reunited with Christ. Now, some, I might be able to argue it's not always easy to follow Christ. But grace and salvation, it's simple. Oftentimes, though, I do hear people claim the opposite. I'll say it's, it's complicated following Christ. I think there could be an easier or better ways of getting to God. You know, there might be better, easier ways out there and and all. It, it, I can't really see God just having one way. That just, that seems too simple. Or it seems, and so they go on, and I, I just, when I hear people say this, I, I just want to say, really? It's complicated? That there is an easier or simpler way to God and salvation from sin and death? An easier way than someone else, and that someone else being, being Christ doing all the work for us? So that all we have to do is trust him, accept and live in the love that he gives us, to love others as he models, there's, there's a simpler way. And not only that, but then we receive help and advice and strength and comfort from his word and through the empowerment and the work of the Holy Spirit. There's a simpler way. And usually the response is, well, you know, maybe not simpler, but maybe easier, because it's just hard to follow Christ. Maybe there's an easier way than just accepting this free gift and having to follow Christ. Or they say, well, maybe, maybe not easier, but maybe there's a better way than following Christ and obeying his teachings. So there's a better way to live than loving other people, even our enemies? Is there a better way than forgiving people and not holding grudges or living in anger and hatred? Is there a better way to live than than being selfless and treating all people the way we would want to be treated? The reality is that following Christ and living by His grace only seems complicated when we don't feel like following Christ. The complication comes from the internal struggle of wanting to do things our way rather than God's way. Wanting to be selfish rather than selfless. Wanting to see our form of justice lived out rather than God's form of justice. Wanting to not show grace to others as God has shown us grace. Grace and following Christ 
seem complicated when we think we deserve the things Christ died to save us from. When we think we deserve the fulfillment of every whim and desire that comes into our selfish minds. When we feel like we deserve the right to lie or to steal or, or to cheat, that it's deserved. It's then that our minds get twisted and we begin to see God's grace and begin to no longer see the simplicity of it. As we just talked about a little bit, lastly, God's grace has given us freedom. Not only from all our sins, not just the forgiveness, but God's grace, there's this undeserved gift, there's this continual bestowing. It's not just this one time, God's grace, boom, there you go. It's this continual flowing from the heart of God that we are to walk in, that we are to allow to flow through us, that we are to share. And not only do we receive grace in regards to undeserved forgiveness of sins, but we receive God's grace. We receive that undeserved lifting and healing and freedom from the shame and the brokenness of our lives and our past decisions and the past things and the current things that we are struggling and going through. Sometimes we, we accept God's grace and we understand that he's forgiven us of our sins. But sometimes there's a part of us that has a hard time allowing God's grace to continue the work of fully restoring us. There's a part of us that feels that, well, if people only knew what I did, if people only knew how my life was, I deserve to, to walk with this burden. I deserve to walk with this shame. And God did not give us his grace, so that we could walk through life completely being reminded time and time again of what we did or who we were or what we have gone through. He wants to fully heal and set us free from the shame and the brokenness. Not that we're going to forget what's happened. Not that we're going to, to uh, forget what we did. But that he's going to, if we allow him, and we fully grab hold of the concept of grace and realize we are completely forgiven. What's in the past, God no longer sees. And he's taken those things, and if we allow him, he will take them because they're still there. But when they are put under the shower of God's grace, when we allow God word to, to permeate our hearts, when we allow the Holy Spirit to begin to work within us and we fully let go of those hurts, we fully let go of the shame, the brokenness of our past and give them to God, he says, you're free. We don't have to drag them behind us. They don't have to hold us back. We don't have to be afraid to pursue what God is calling us to. We don't have to be afraid to, to tell people about what has happened to us because part of it is Look what God has done despite 
who I was or despite what happened to me. God has changed it. He has made me new. And too often times we, we come to Christ and we, we accept God's forgiveness and then we hide everything in the back. And God says, no, I'm going to redeem every aspect of your life. He sets us free, free to live, free to laugh, free to cry, free to dance and celebrate and have joy and peace in knowing that we are loved with a love that will never end. And that, he will, that we will be sustained by a grace that freely flows to those who will simply accept it and walk in it.